message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Welcome once again to Trinity Grace. Glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. We love seeing new faces and hope that you experience a warm welcome here, meaningful worship service as well. And if you need anything this morning, if you've got any questions about what we're up to here at Trinity Grace, anything that we can help you with, please pull me aside after the service. We'd be honored to make you feel welcome and serve you any way that we can. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn it now to Luke chapter 24. The passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. And kids, I'd like to invite you to be listening for the following three things in the sermon this morning. First, be listening for examples of two words that don't go together. Examples of two words that don't go together. Second, be listening for a story about a mechanic. A story about a mechanic. And third, be thinking about how resurrection changes your life. How does resurrection change your life? And maybe even share what you're thinking with your parents on the way home today. Well, this morning with Christians around the world, we get the opportunity to celebrate Easter Sunday. It's often been referred to as the Sunday of Sundays. In fact, every other Sunday of the year, we gather to celebrate and worship God for what He accomplished on this Sunday, this Easter Sunday. And as we gather to celebrate and worship this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the accounts of the very first Easter morning, which happened approximately 2,000 years ago. And before we read, it is worth remembering that this account from the Gospel of Luke that we're considering is a historical eyewitness account of an event that took place in real time and real space. In Luke 24, we have an account of a man named Jesus who was violently put to death by the Roman government. He was crucified, and then three days later, he was physically bodily raised from the dead. The gospel accounts are much more than historical eyewitness accounts, but they are not less than that. They're historical eyewitness accounts of Christ's bodily resurrection. And as you might imagine, even though Jesus had been talking about his resurrection with his disciples throughout his ministry, this is still the last thing anyone expected. We get a chance to read about this unexpected resurrection and the foundation upon which Christianity is built in Luke chapter 24. So you follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, woman, women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen.' Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. 
Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, today, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is a spe- in a special way is a day of joy. It's a day of hope. It's news of a victory over sin and death. Today, we get the chance to celebrate the focal point of Christianity. We celebrate the work of Jesus who experienced a violent death to pay for sin in a bodily resurrection three days later that confirmed that that payment was effective, that it had been accepted, so to speak. And as we consider the good news of Christ's resurrection this morning, let me start with a question. How important is the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus to the Christian life? How important is the resurrection of Jesus to your Christian life? Well, I wonder if you've ever considered that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, you would have never known his name. I mean, after all, there were hundreds of messianic movements that cropped up in the history of Israel, and I would be willing to bet that you can't name one of the leaders of those movements. On top of that, they all died out. The leader was forgotten. On top of that, there were thousands of Roman crucifixions that took place at the beginning of the first century. But I'm confident that we could not name any of the criminals that were put to death in that period of time by the Roman government. N.T. Wright, who's an historian from St. Andrew's University, talks about the fact that there were many messianic movements in the first century where the would-be messiahs were executed. And he writes this, In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming that their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. Resurrection was not a private event. Jewish revolutionaries whose leader had been executed by the authorities and who managed to escape arrest themselves had two options. Give up the revolution or find another leader. Claiming that the original leader was alive again was simply not an option, unless, of course, he was. Well, the reason we know the name of Jesus, the reason millions of people are worshiping him today around the world, the reason that he has had such a dramatic impact on our world is because we have historical accounts of his bodily resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is essential to the Christian life. The resurrection is what turned the scared, timid disciples into bold and fearless missionaries as they took the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that Christianity is built upon. The thing that changes everything, a watershed moment in all history. Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian pastor in New York City, says, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul expressed a similar sentiment in his letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, we are of all people to be most pitied. In other words, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we might as well pack it up and stop wasting our time this morning. But if he has been raised from the dead, if it is true, then it's not an overstatement to say that everything has changed. It's through the resurrection of Jesus that his entire life and teaching is validated. 
If Christ rose from the grave, then what He teaches is true. He is Savior. He is King. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 24, we get to walk through Easter morning with the first followers of Jesus. And as we do this, I think we can see ourselves in them. As we look at this passage, I want us to consider three things from this account. First, I want us to see what the disciples expected on Easter morning. What did they expect? Second, I want us to see what the disciples experienced on Easter morning. And third, I want us to see what Easter morning means for the disciples. What they expected, what they experienced, what it all means. Let's first consider what the disciples expected on Easter morning. Do you know what an oxymoron is? It's a figure of speech where two words that seemingly contradict one another are placed side by side. Some examples of an oxymoron would be jumbo shrimp, definite possibility, controlled chaos, deafening silence, fairly accurate, good grief. Oxymorons, they really stick out because you're putting two words together that are mutually exclusive in a sense. Two words that have no business being stuck together. An oxymoron that we sometimes experience in life might be honest mechanic. That's an oxymoron, right? Now, I don't want to throw any mechanics under the bus this morning, but surely you know the reputation you carry uh, amongst most people. If you're a mechanic, you've got an uphill climb if you want to win people's trust and admiration. The deck is stacked against you from the start. A few months ago, I had an experience that did something to me that isn't normal. I had an experience that turned me into an evangelist, and it was an experience with a mechanic. I woke up one morning to find my car sitting in the driveway with a flat tire, and so I jacked up the car, I put on the spare, I threw the flat in the trunk, and I drove to Discount Tire. As I entered the lobby of Discount Tire, I had given myself a pep talk. I had steeled my nerves, so to speak. Whatever you do, don't let them take advantage of you. That's how everyone enters a mechanic shop, right? Well, I walk in, they great, greet me warmly. I tell them about my situation. They invite me to have a seat and they get to work on my flat. After about 20 minutes, they call me to the counter and give me my keys back and I ask them what I owed them. And they said nothing. They said, next time you buy tires, just come buy tires from us. And my jaw dropped, my heart fluttered, the world stopped spinning. Not really, but it was such a pleasant surprise. They had plugged my flat tire, replaced the spare, put on the repaired tire, and they didn't charge me. They didn't try to pressure me to buy new tires or other products. I walked in expecting one thing and walked out having experienced something completely different. Now, for the entire week, I was giddy about Discount Tire. And I'm being serious. I mean, I immediately went and completed a glowing Google review for that particular store. I started texting friends out of the blue, unsolicited, to share the good news about Discount Tire. My expectations had been so exceeded by Discount Tire that I was in a state of shock. You might be uh, interested to know that all my friends had great experiences too with Discount Tire. This sermon brought to you by Discount Tire, by the way. (laughs) It's not a perfect analogy, but in our passage, we see that the disciples brought certain expectations with them on that first Easter morning. They expected one thing, but what they experienced completely exceeded their expectations. I mean, it's important to remember that about 36 hours before this account, Mary and the other women 
and some of the male disciples were at the foot of the cross watching Jesus be crucified. And it's helpful to put yourself in these disciples' shoes for just a few minutes. Can you imagine what they must have been experiencing and thinking as they stood at the foot of the cross? They had spent the previous three years following this man who they believed to be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. They left family and friends and vocations and homes in order to devote their lives to Jesus. They experienced His healing touch. They listened to His inspired teaching. They witnessed His miracles. They had great expectations for what was to come. Expectations that included power and prestige and honor. But instead, their time with Jesus is tragically ended by crucifixion. And as we read this passage, we've got to remember that all of their hopes and dreams had recently come to an abrupt end. Jesus being crucified and buried was not the way things were supposed to work in their minds. These disciples, they were full of sorrow and confusion and disappointment because Jesus had been executed by the Roman government at the instigation of the Jewish religious leaders. And it's evident from the account that we read in Luke that the disciples come to the tomb on the third day with certain expectations. First among them is they expected Jesus to be dead. They expected to find Jesus where they left Him in the tomb. Just look at the text. The ladies come with a load of spices so they might properly care for the dead body of their friend. That was their expectation that morning. And it's also telling to note that not one of the twelve disciples, those who followed Jesus most closely, even bothered to come to the tomb. Now, if you think about it, that's curious, given the fact that Jesus had explicitly told them what to expect on multiple occasions. Jesus had bluntly told them face to face that the Son of Man would suffer, die, and on the third day rise from the dead. It's not a stretch to expect the disciples to be sitting around and at least maybe say, hey guys, why don't we just go check on things? You know, it's the third day. But they don't even bother to go. There is no evidence that the disciples in this passage, either men or women, were expecting resurrection. The last thing they expected, the last thing they considered, was exactly what God had promised them and asked them to expect. Like these disciples on the first Easter morning, we often live with certain expectations, don't we? Because of sin and evil in this world, we are prone to craft our own expectations for what God can do. We're prone to disregard His promises as fanciful and naive. It's so easy to grow cynical in this world that's marked by sin. To grow cynical to God's promises, to His work, to His purpose in this world. But we see in our passage that the resurrection cuts through cynicism and reorients us back to God's goodness and love. We're reminded on Easter that our expectations for God are so often off base. So having considered what the disciples expected this first Easter morning, let's turn our attention to what they experienced that first Easter morning. What the disciples experienced on the first Easter morning is a stone rolled away, an empty tomb, and an announcement from angels that Jesus is not here, he is risen. In short, what the disciples experienced that first Easter morning is resurrection. Now, it's easy for us to view the people depicted on the pages of the New Testament as primitive, as those who might be easily duped, as those who didn't have science and technology, they're not modern like us. 
We think it was easier for them to believe in things like resurrection back then than it is for us modern people today. The problem is that's not entirely true. You could actually make the case that we're more prone to believe misinformation today in our world of constant overwhelming data and news than these first century disciples would would have been. Disbelief in resurrection, it's not a modern phenomenon. It's always been difficult, even impossible, to believe in resurrection. So what these ladies experienced that first Easter morning would have been hard for them to process. You've got to think about it for a minute. They weren't ignorant. They weren't stupid. These ladies knew that when someone died, they typically stayed dead. The ladies come to the empty tomb. They encounter angelic beings. And these angels are pretty matter-of-fact about it all. I mean, they ask the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, this is a counseling question. It's rhetorical. The angels are not looking for information here. They are pressing these ladies to reflection, to remember what Jesus had foretold and promised. They're inviting them to open their eyes to the reality of resurrection. Now, let's stop and think about this account critically for just a second. If you were Luke, the gospel writer, and you wanted to craft a story that was intended to gain traction and to gain influence with lots of people, you would never write the account this way. You wouldn't paint women as the first to encounter the empty tomb and spread the news because after all, most of you know that women's testimony wasn't highly valued or regarded in that culture. You also wouldn't paint the 12 disciples in such a negative light, would you? As those who were slow to believe, as those who weren't even on the lookout for the promises of Jesus. You'd want to paint the disciples as men of faith, as those who believed the story at once because Jesus had prepared them for it. You would want to paint a picture of confidence and trust if you were looking to gain traction. The way Luke tells the story is a telltale sign that he's simply presenting eyewitness accounts for people's consideration. He's recounting facts. On top of that, Luke names names. He brings the receipts, so to speak. He would have been writing approximately 40 to 45 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and people were still alive that could verify this account. It would have been too easy to put the story to rest if it didn't really happen. You even get the sense that in verse 11, the disciples themselves don't believe until they verify things for themselves. But once they verify, once they experience resurrection, they're then willing to die defending this truth, this gospel. That kind of change is significant if you think about it. The disciples didn't come expecting a miracle. Only evidence could overwhelm their prejudice. The disciples came to the tomb on Easter morning expecting the tomb to be occupied, but what they experienced is an empty tomb because Jesus had arisen. And the disciples are astonished, they're fearful, they're confused. Easter is a complete surprise. God's grace is overturning the tragedy in their lives that they'd recently experienced. And that's what the disciples experienced that first Easter morning. And as we close today, let's turn and ask quickly what Easter means for the disciples of Jesus. At Covenant Seminary, where I went to school, there was a professor who told students that he wanted them to think about him coming to visit the church that they served on Sunday morning. And during the sermon, he wanted his students to envision him standing in the back of the worship space with a sign over his head that said, so what? So what? 
And it's a worthwhile question to ask this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in a special way. So what? I'd love to invite you this morning as we close to take inventory of what sin has done in your life over the past year. I mean, just stop and think about it for a minute. What has sin internally and externally done in your life over the past year? Think about the past year, the besetting sins that you struggle against, the disease, the disappointments, the loss, the pain, the death. Take stock of the chaos and the sadness of sin within and the sin without and what it's brought upon you this past year. Now, in light of those things, what do you expect of Jesus? What do you expect of Jesus? What difference might the resurrection of Jesus make in your life? What might the resurrection mean for our sadness and our loss, our fears, our disappointments? In other words, so what? Are you experiencing death? Are you expecting death? Or are you expecting life this Easter morning? That's a great question to consider. Are you expecting death or are you expecting life this Easter morning? Do your expectations for what God is doing and going to do in your life communicate that Jesus might as well be dead? Or does it communicate that he is risen? Is there any spiritual vibrancy and potential that you look forward to? We are so often like the original disciples on the first Easter morning. We have our expectations and cynicism has tempered our hopes for what God might do, for what God could do. But Luke wants to remind us this morning that we follow a resurrected Savior. And as we find ourselves in Jesus, as we place our faith in His resurrection, you have been made a new creation. If Jesus was raised, your story is not over. Easter is an invitation to meet the resurrected Savior. It's news of a fresh start. Easter is news of hope for failing disciples, for disciples that are slow to believe, for sin-battered disciples, for disciples who have tasted their fair share of misery and sadness this past year. On this Easter morning, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then sin wins, disease wins, loss wins, death wins. But if Jesus has been raised, then God promises to restore to you what sin has taken. What death has taken, what disease has taken, what doubt has taken. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can have hope of a future. Hope that all tears will one day be wiped away. Hope that pain and sadness will one day be obsolete. Hope that Jesus will one day redeem your wounds and your losses. Hope that God we'll one day dwell in our midst and make all things new. If Jesus has been raised, it is a new day and things will never be the same. The earliest Christians actually took this seriously. They took it so seriously that upon learning of Christ's resurrection, they changed the way they referred to the days of the week. You might know that our days of the week as we currently know them were handed down to us by Greco-Roman culture and they actually allude to pagan worship. Sunday was a day dedicated to worship of the sun god. Saturday was a day dedicated to worship of Saturn. Thursday is a day dedicated to worship of Thor. And when learning of Christ's resurrection and the fact that it ushered in a new reality altogether, Christians began referring to Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection, as the Lord's Day. 
It's no longer the sun's day, it's the Lord's day. They refer to it as the first day of the week. It was a reminder that we're a group of people that follow a resurrected Savior. That a new day has dawned, literally. That we have resurrection power in our midst. Do you want the resurrection to be true? Do you want to know God's grace? And I have a pastor friend, and in his Easter sermons, he always tells his skeptical secular friends that even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. And if it is, we need to recalibrate our expectations for what God might do in our lives and in this world. The resurrection reminds us that God has not given up on you. He's not given up on this world. It reminds us that sin and death will not have the last word. Because of the resurrection, we know that God will make all things new. Because of the resurrection, we know that God will bring life out of darkness and death. And since Jesus has been raised from the dead, you can make every Sunday Easter Sunday. In fact, that's what we do here at Trinity Grace. We celebrate the resurrection 52 weeks out of the year, every Sunday at 10 o'clock. We are here every Lord's Day celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And we would love for you to join us as we seek to live as resurrected people together that expect great things from God. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love and your resurrection power in our lives. We thank you that you walked into death and you defeated it for us. We thank you that because you're currently alive, that sin and death and doubt and our struggles will not have the last word. And we pray this morning that as we look to you, our resurrected King, that you would give us great hope for what you might do in our lives and in this world. We pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.